Kristen. And I'm Keontae. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to The, the Crafted, Crafted Podcast. Podcast. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. Unless unless your name is Kevin Hart, Center of the Entertainer, Steve Harvey, Earthquake, or Ricky Smiley. Why Why you not, say that? It's not, not the New Year? Uh, well, they, I think their New Year got off to a little a little rocky start at the hands of, of, of one Cat Williams. Oh, okay. I haven't, I haven't, I don't really know who half of those people are, <laughs> number one. And number two, you know, I didn't really pay attention to what he said about them. I just know that Cat Williams upset the world and that people think it's great. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, he didn't really upset the world. He just upset them individuals. He upset fan bases of those individuals and those okay. individuals. But yeah, it's been interesting. interesting. It's been an interesting new year. But anyway, um, anywho, anywho, <laughs> um, how's your day been today? My day has been productive. I was able to get a lot done. I am back to work after my break. Cause listen, that's the perks of a school district job is that you get the same breaks as your kids. And so I feel rested and I hit the ground running and I am knocking off those uh, goals at work and things. And so I just feel really productive and I love a productive, I love productivity, honestly. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. How's your week? My week, I mean, so, I mean, we only at the beginning of it, but so far it's been pretty chill. Um, I can't really complain, you know, like I said, it's the new year, trying to hone in on my new year's resolutions and, and maintain and be successful in my new year's resolutions. Um, so that I can just carry them out with, you know, with the precision and, and discipline that, that they need, that they, that they require. Okay. Interesting. That's all I'm trying to do. Cool. Cool. But yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump into it. Let's go ahead and get into our first segment, which is going to be the random fact of the day. Now, do you know why the sky is blue? Because of the ocean. That's interesting that you say that. So a lot of people think that the sky is blue because of the ocean. Some people think they just attest like water is blue. So the sun's light is hidden earth and most of the earth is covered in water. So it gives off like a blue light. Okay. So is that, is that why you thought, is that why you thought the ocean or you just heard the ocean? Yeah. I just heard the ocean is why the sky is blue. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, I've never heard that. I've never heard that until today, actually. Wow. Um, but the sky is blue. I just all I I always thought it just had something to do because we all know that when you look at space, space is just black. You know, it's just vast blackness, darkness. Um, so I just always thought it had something to do with like the ultraviolet light rays coming from the sun bouncing off of our uh, you know atmosphere or something like that. That's complicated. Um, which in turn, that's pretty much why the sky is blue and so when the light when the sun comes up or when we're on earth and it seems as if the sun is rising the light that is coming from the sun is such a high beam white type of light that it interacts with our atmosphere and it 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 ignites particles pretty much within our atmosphere different oxygenated particles and other chemicals right but the color blue and ultraviolet like purple in the atmosphere, um, those colors and, and those, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? 
I don't know. Those chemicals in the atmosphere, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. they give off that blue color, and it's because the the sun's light is as is at its closest, like when it's like high noon or in the morning when it's coming up, um, to hit our atmosphere, and so so that color actually stays longer since it's the closest particle, and that's what makes the color of the sky blue. So the ultra white light is hitting certain particles that have a blue or purple hue hue. And those colors remain the remain the longest within our atmosphere once they get hit by the sun's rays. Wow! And so now, thanks why- for giving that Cliff Notes version at the end. Because <laughs> listen, my mind was running around; it was running circles while you yeah. were talking. And so, unbeknownst to us, because we can't see them with the naked eye, but there's particles in the atmosphere and the oxygen and like nitrogen and stuff like that. They actually have a color that we can't see. So there's blues, there's purples, there's greens, and there's reds in the sky and in the air around us. And so when the sun is setting, or what it seems to be setting, that's when the rays of the sun is trying, it's 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 having to stretch its longest to try to get to us or whatnot. And then it hits, it's hitting the certain particles that have a reddish orange hue. And so that's why when there's a sunset, the sunset looks orange and it looks red. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, anyway... That's why the sky is blue. So in short and in summary, it's basically ultra-white light hitting certain particles and chemicals within our atmosphere, and it's pretty much igniting that color to stick around. Wow. So it's not because the ocean is blue. That is a good guess, though. I'm still going to tell people when people ask me why, because, you know, my mind automatically dumps out any information Mm -hmm. instantly. So I'm going to tell people it's because of the ocean. Well, see, now, then we get into a kind of another fact that, in all actuality, the ocean isn't blue. Oh, Lord. We'll save that random fact yeah, for our next time. Yeah, that's another random fact. But anywho, let's go ahead and move on to our next segment. Um, <laughs> we're going to go ahead and get into our let's get deep questions. Man, I'm praying to God, and I'm just, I'm trusting God that in this year, 2024, we're going to get sponsored. We're going to actually get sponsored by this company. Whoever makes let's get deep. I need to I need to actually look look and see who makes it. <laughs> um, but they're gonna sponsor us. So this has been this has been a staple in our podcast since we started. Yeah. Way back in 2023. Dang, way back <laughs> when, huh? But all right, let's go ahead and get into our let's get deep questions today. The question is, what was your favorite story or book growing up? My favorite story or book growing up is probably there's this there's these books by this author called Lou, Lewis Sakhar, I think. I never really realized. Sakhar? Yeah, I never really thought about how to pronounce his name, but they used to be called Wayside Stories. And so it just had a whole bunch of like crazy stories in it. And I just used to love it so much. And then there was also another book called Joey Pigza Swallowed the Key. And I really liked that book too a lot when I was a kid. Hmm. So what, like, give me like a... Give me like a spark notes of what some of these, like, especially that pig story was about. Like, what is that about? Joey Pig's uh, Swallowed the Key was about a kid with ADHD and he just used to be having difficulty controlling himself and he ended up in a special ed school and stuff like that. And, um, you know, he met a counselor that helped him to learn how to control himself. But he did, before he learned how to control himself, he sharpened his finger in um, in the pencil sharpener. He cut a girl's hair. Like, he just, was, he swallowed a key. He did all types of stuff. Huh. 
So that was a good book. And then the other book was, it was just about a whole bunch of stories, like how on the elevator there wasn't a 13th floor, but one day they got to the 13th floor. One of the teachers was turning kids into apples. Could you imagine? Turning the kids into apples? (laughs) Yes, literal apples, and then eating them. Hmm. Eating the apples when they were acting up. So anyways, yeah. So just all types of little short crazy story so yeah what was your favorite book was it the thousand leagues under the sea 20,000 20, leagues under the sea well so that that was probably like my my favorite book really it's like the only book i can remember actually i think i don't, I don't know if it was exactly my first um science fiction book that i bought but um i know it's the most memorable one but man i've always been fascinated by that story um just the building of like the submarine the kraken the the giant squid monster in the story like that is just a such a staple to me growing up and i just i love that book once i got it i don't remember how many times i've read it but that was one book where i just read multiple times but that was my favorite <laughs> book but i also because I, I didn't read that many books when i was a kid but i definitely read that one and i remember my mom got me this book of greek mythology because i was heavy for some reason i got heavy into greek mythology and just loved it and my mom saw that and bought me a book about all the different Greek gods and things of that nature. Like when I was younger, I've kind of forgotten a lot of them now, but I know my two favorite gods from their characteristics was Ares and Hephaestus. Ares is the god of war and Hephaestus was the god of, he was like the blacksmith god or, you know, the pretty much. Weapons. Yeah, yeah, the weapons guy. So he made like he he's the one who constructed, you know, like Thor, uh, not Thor, Zeus's thunderbolt or um, Artemis's his winged feet and things of that nature. Um, but yeah, man, those those stories captivated me. Interesting. Um, when I was a kid, so interesting, interesting. That is interesting, though, honestly, because it's so funny. Because me and you have such like drastic differences in the things that we like and the things that we were intrigued by, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just find that interesting. Yeah. Yep. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our next segment, which is our forever segment. Yes, forever segment. So this week I we were starting a discussion on whose love is greater a mother's love or a husband's love. Mm -hmm. And so we discussed that a little bit, but I also have the results. I posted this also on Instagram to see like what the world thought essentially. And so I have the results from that. And so, um, would you like me to start on what I think? Would you like to well, yeah, start you can with go the ahead results? And give you, you can give you your results and what you think. I'm pretty sure what the results are going to align with what you think. <laughs> you think so? Yeah. Interesting. So, basically, the discussion entailed me saying that I don't think anything is comparable to a mother's love, essentially. Mm-hmm. I feel like the a mother's love is just the deepest love that there is, and a mother is going to love her children or her child more than a husband loves his wife. And so that was kind of, uh, you know, it was, it's debatable, you know, and of course it's not your one size fits all, but I'll just change the wording to a majority. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So a majority of mothers love their children more than a husband loves their wife. And so, you know, after we talk about, 
you know, what you think and all that and the results of the, of the, um, what is it? The poll, the results of the poll, and then I'll give more background into why I think the way that I think, and maybe we could enter into a little friendly debate, if you will, you know? Okay. A friendly debate, because I don't know if you've changed your mind in the past couple of days, but when we were talking, you did you did say that um, that you thought that a husband's love is greater than a mother's love for her child or her daughter. Mm-hmm. And so the results of the poll... Let me bring it up. So actually share what you think first before I share the results. Well, it's like you said, the question the, the question was posed as, does a mother love her children more than a husband loves his wife? And I said, uh, I would say no. Um, but I mean, I kind of did change my answer as I thought about it. I think that it can be equal plain. And here's why. Because although there is, you're right, there is nothing like a mother's love. It's unconditional. We, you know, we know it. <laughs> Tupac wrote, Dear Mama, we, 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 we know that, right? But when it comes to a husband, and I mean like a real husband, not like one of these dudes for play play that's just trying to marry you because they're just trying to sleep with you or they got some crazy ulterior motives. But when you get a husband that truly loves a wife and like there's no kids even involved at that point, like where he where they're she's not a mother, he's not a father yet, but he's solely a God fearing man marrying a woman and her taking on his last name, like bruh the type of love that comes with that the type of just you wanting to protect her that the the the, the I'm resp- like this is the, this is a person I'm now responsible for you know what I mean not only responsible in the sense because oh this is my wife and legally you know we're supposed to be together but just the simple fact and the act of like me taking you from your father's home your parents home who raised you and now they're entrusting me to continue not raising you, but to continue that shelter, that protection, that, you know, uh, providing for you, like, that's just, that's, that's just a big task to take on. And like okay, I said, if I you're, agree with that. yeah, and like, and when you're, like I said, when you're a real deal husband and you actually really love your wife, like, this is a person you think about all day, think about every time, um, like, bruh, you don't, like, you don't even know, like, how often I just think about, like, are you okay? Even though when you be at work, I'd be like, dang, you know, hopefully when she gets in the car, the car is the car starts. She doesn't get a flat. Hopefully she got, you know, she's eating because you don't be eating. Hopefully oh my she goodness. eats. Like I think mm, about you all the time. This, this little this little stomach pouch say I'm eating something. <laughs> yeah, but you know, like I think about you all the time. I think about your well being all all the time, and I'm very concerned with that. And it was, I mean, now that we have kids now. It's still that same zeal. I just have to add them to the equation now. But okay. you were always my first ministry. You was you were always my first family before my kids got here. You know? Well, and we're not talking about a father's love. Yeah, no, I'm talking about a husband's love. Okay. That's what I'm saying. You that's what I'm saying. You as my wife were my first family, my first ministry before my kids even got here. And okay. that's just it's you know, it's not gonna change. It's gonna be the same when they leave the house. You know what I mean? So that bond is just it's it's yeah it's it's sealed in cement yeah but that's why i said that's why i changed my outlook instead of just saying that oh of course a husband can loves deeper than a mother loves for her children i think with that description and that explanation those two could be looked at on an equal plane in my opinion okay so the results 
I asked two questions on the poll. The first question was, do you think a husband loves his wife more than her mother loves her? So that was the question. Mm -hmm. 6% of people said, yes, a husband loves his wife the most. 94% of people (laughs) (laughs) agreed that a mother's love is is greater and a mother's love is unconditional. So I followed it up with another question. Mm -hmm. And I put, do you think a wife loves her children more than her husband because if a mother's love is unconditional i wanted to see like what who if people thought that you know and so 84 percent of people said yes a wife's loves her children more than her husband and 16 percent of people said no that a wife does not love her children more than her husband and so i'm in agreement with both actually so you might think like what oh my goodness I just feel like a mother's love is so intense and especially as a mom as much as my kids get on my nerves a mother's love literally starts from the womb from the moment that you find out you're pregnant you love your child a lot of people do most most people do Mm -hmm. not everybody you love your child. It's like instinctive. It's literally a blood connection where your body is feeding your baby. Your body is sustaining your baby. Your the the cells of of your baby and you are intertwined. And even after you give birth, the cells of your children are still inside of you, including uh, specifically with boys, boy cells are longer and they're longer than girl cell, girl cells. And so I think moms truly love without expectation. Like no matter what a child does, your mom is going to love you no matter what. Mm-hmm. There's nothing you could do most of the time, 99% of the time that you could do to make your mother not love you. Moms will straight up visit a a freaking weirdo, uh, like a weird dude, you know, that has committed all types of heinous crimes in jail. You know how many moms, when I worked the the juvenile hall, so many moms was coming up there and their sons would be cussing them out and all types of crazy stuff. And those moms would be right back up there the next week, Mm. you know? And so I feel like moms love you truly without wavering. And I think moms are a comforting constancy in your life. Like you can always expect your mom to love you. Even when you're wrong is wrong and you do, you're making all the inappropriate decisions, all the negative choices you could choose. Your mom's comforting constancy is going to be there. Now, I do think that a husband's love is really intense as well. I feel like um, a mother's love is just innate. It's what you started with. But a husband's love is a lifetime partnership where when your mom dies or goes on to heaven, then your then your husband is going to be there for you. He's going to be the the person there for you. He's the person that, you know, you agree to be one with. And, you know, biblically, once you get married, you're supposed to be one. And so, you know, it also says in the Bible that a husband should love his wife as he loves his own body and all these things. And so scripturally, yes, a man is supposed to love his wife intensely. And I don't know 
honestly, if it could be stronger than a mother's love, because if I did you dirty right now and cheated or, you know, was doing something crazy, then I don't, I think that love would have to end. It's not like you're going to be like, oh, I'm just going to love you forever, no matter what. So I do think that, that there are limits to a husband's love. And that's why I think that a mother loves her children more essentially, or, or, mm-hmm. or a mom loves her daughter more than a husband loves his wife. And so I want to segue off of that into do, does a mother love her children more than her husband? And that is a loaded question, you know, and I just think that the love of a mother is a protective type of love. And so it's just different. Like, you know, like I love my husband to death, but if I had to choose my husband or my kids, like if somebody told me to choose, it's going to be my kids every time because they're young. They, they came from me. I have to sustain them. I have to keep them going. Does that mean that I'm going to let my kids draw a wedge in between our marriage? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But these are my children. I grew them. Who you, literally. Who you know longer. I've known you longer, yes. Mm. But I've, I've known a lot of people longer. I've known people from high school mm, long. Then people don't matter. Yeah. But I just think that it's... I matter. <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> matter. But now I want to draw like a comparison. So just because I said like, I love my children more, if you want to say more, I love them with the protective love. Like they, they're very important to me. Does that mean that I put them on a pedestal above you? Does that mean that they can draw a wedge in between our marriage? Does that mean that I don't have you as a priority? No, that does not mean that at all. And so it just means that my children are who I have to protect. My children are who God has blessed me with and, and put into my life. And yes, they will be out the house one day. I'm going to be with you, but that's why we have to build our own relationship. But as well as I build my relationship with my kids. And so I think that all of these loves can exist at the same time without causing like a deep issue. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And so does that mean, Oh, since my mom loves me so much, I'm always going to take her side. No, I don't live with my mom. I live with my husband. He's the head of my my household. He's the person that I'm laying in bed with every night. He's the person that's smashing me and paying my bills, Uh-oh. for lack of a better word. You know what I mean? Hello. And so my allegiance is obviously to my husband. However, you know, if there were an issue between my husband and my mother, then hopefully they could come to a common agreement However, I'd have to be like, you know, this is right and this is wrong, but I would go to both of them in private and talk about the issue and what is right and what is wrong at the end of the day. Because at the end of the day, you could go down to the Bible and you could go, you know, this is what we should do. This is what we shouldn't do, essentially. Mm -hmm. And then with my kids, my kids are not going to draw a wedge in between my marriage because at the end of the day, listen, like I said, daddy is smashing me and paying my bills. I don't tell them that, but you know, he's smashing me and paying my bills. And so therefore, you know, my allegiance is to him. However, if there were an instance where he's getting besides himself, it is like, he, you're not going to do nothing crazy to my kids, period. But you're not even that type of man anyways, you know, mm-hmm. like if it had to come to that, I listen, I'll, I'll box anybody over my children. Yeah. 
But yeah, so that was my long-winded way of saying that. Any last thoughts or anything you want to add? Yeah, I think this is, a, I mean, it's, it's definitely an interesting question. It's a fun question to, like, pose and really, like, run your mind about. But no, honestly, I think when it comes down to it, you really can't, like, the the word love because, oh, oh the word love, just <laughs> like what you said. I, I hit my mic on accident. The word love, just like you said, it's it's loaded and there's different variations of love. Yeah. You know I mean, especially like when we get into scripture, you got agape love, you got the phileo love. Um, you know, there's different types of loves and different types of thoughts that you have, like with your kids. But one thing I find interesting too, even with like some of the scenarios you gave, like it was like, you know, if it comes down to if somebody was like, you got to choose between your husband and your kids, I'm, you know, you're going to choose the kids. There's like already like kind of like fail safes or like default switches, I think that are built into us if love is shown and love is exhibited in the right way. Like even in that scenario, at the end of the day, like I said, I love you like me, like a fat kid yeah, loves yeah, like me being a husband <laughs> and you being my wife like i love you to like the utmost degree because like i say you were my first ministry you know what i mean but then also in that same sense like if somebody was making you choose between me or the kids my fail safe isn't even my my protective fail safe and me being the good man that i am my protective fail safe ain't even gonna be like yes pick me pick me it's gonna be, always be no choose the kids over me yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. so, and it's yeah. going to be, and it turns into kind of like, you know, if you really pose that question, it turns into a cycle, you yeah. know, but that's if, but that's if the love is right. That's if it's a correct love. It's if it's the love that God ordained this union to be, you know what I mean? Then it's going to go in that cycle. Now you got some crazy people out there that, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's they, love. <laughs> right. And they'll choose their husband and leave their kids. Women that'll be like, I'm not. Oh, he told me to pick him or the kids, and I picked him. Like, girl. Yeah. Like, that's just crazy. Just crazy. But, yeah, I do think it's interesting to draw those comparisons. And, honestly, the two loves really, truly, at the end of the day, cannot be compared. Like, let's be real. A mother's love is different from a husband's love. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It just is. It's a different type of love. Like, I wonder if we go into the bible where it talks about how a mother nurses you from her breast and all that good stuff and a mother can't you can't be forgotten i wonder like if the greek or hebrew or whatever version the bible is in i wonder if the words are different you know what i mean yeah and so i i like that you drew that conclusion with the different types of love and so at the end of the day it's different it truly cannot be compared but you know we compared them for the sake of the audience yes and so yeah so let's go yeah i want to go into the i want to go into the bible too and go into songs of solomon and see what the translation is when he said i will climb that palm tree (laughs) (laughs) you're the worst solomon was rapping he was he was really rapping back then solomon was he wanted he wanted to get something get into something okay he was like let me get into these get into this uh into these ladies okay so let's go into our Roots and Bloom segment. And so we're going to get a little deep. We're going to get a little deep. Okay. In this Roots and Bloom segment, we're going to talk about trauma. Mm-hmm. And so everyone knows that I love to read books. I love to read all types of parenting books. I love to read all types of psychology books, marriage books, self-help books, all the books. I just love them. And so I'm reading or I read twice a couple books by this author called Bruce Perry and he writes he's like a trauma 
what do they call it? Trauma, traumatology. There's actually a study of trauma. Hmm. So he's, yeah, he studies trauma. And so there's this one specific book called the boy who was raised, um, by wolves or as no, the boy who was raised as a dog. And then he has another one called what happened to you that he wrote with Oprah anyway. So he goes all into trauma. And so today we are going to be talking about trauma. We're going to be talking about what ages are the important ages to prevent trauma, what trauma is, the impact of trauma. We're going to be talking about um, neglect and the effects. We're going to be talking about how it impacts your genes and how your brain is uh, has neuroplasticity and can recover. Some of these a lot of big words, but I will explain the words. So, husband, have you faced any trauma in your life or anything you'd consider trauma? Oh, definitely. What do you consider? Think, what do you consider? You don't have to go to your most traumatic event because you know that might be a little too deep for the podcast. Oh no, I'm deep. I can get, so, I can get as deep as you need me to. I'm rolling. <laughs> this can be an Olympic dive pool, or this can be a kiddie pool. I can get deep as deep as you want me to. Well, you could just give something that you consider traumatic from your childhood. Mm. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. I think the one of the traumatic things, which a lot of people don't really see it as traumatic, but Going through therapy and talking, like, with my therapist about it, like, me growing up in a separated home, like, me growing up in a single-parent home with my mom and my dad being away from the home, that's traumatic in itself. Yeah. You know, it seems like a normalcy because a lot of people have experienced that, um, but it's trauma. Like, yeah. it's 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 un, it's not normal and it's un, and unnatural for us to be raised in a house that is divided, you know? Just like, you know, we were just talking about with marriage, like God created marriage and ordained marriage for it to be a single family, a nuclear family, you know, where the husband and the wife are the mom and the dad of the kids and they're in, under one household and that's the family. That's how I was raised. Um, and so, like I said, with me, I think that's, you know, it's the easiest trauma I could, I could give you or the yes. one that comes to mind first. Okay. Yeah, one of the traumatic things I went through was that I had a sibling that had a mental illness and he was unmedicated for a period of my childhood and so mm-hmm. um I witnessed a lot of a uh, a lot of violence, a lot of things that, you know, a child shouldn't witness. And so, you know, that was kind of the trauma that's giving you guys, like, we'll go into that in another episode. We'll go deeper into it. But that's just like, you know, the surface of my trauma is that I had a brother that was unmedicated and um, he had a mental illness. And so with the ups and downs of not being medicated and just the violent nature and the the sporadic nature and the what not you know not knowing what to expect was traumatic in and of itself and even my husband when we first started dating I couldn't sleep at night and one of the reasons was due to some of the trauma from that instance and so he really even my husband he helped me really get through that a lot and so that just made me think I'm rolling that just made me think of that Okay, so let's define trauma. Trauma is an emotional or physical experience that can be distressing or harmful and leaves a lasting impact on a person's well-being. So trauma to one person is not trauma to another person. So Mm. there's different levels of trauma and what can be traumatic to, like, let's say our first world problem trauma is 
oh, you know, I had to have cup of noodles every time for dinner. But another person's trauma is they didn't have any food, you know, or another, you know, so trauma varies kind of in a way. One trauma might be that their father hit them one time. Another person's trauma was they were getting beat repeatedly, you know. And so, you know, there's different layers to it. So, um, in the first years, basically, the first years, like, basically zero to four, trauma can disrupt your brain. Mm -hmm. And it really causes detrimental effects to the brain, essentially. So, people often think zero to four is not that important. Oh, they're little babies. They don't know nothing. You know, they're not going to remember. However... If you neglect or do anything traumatic to your child from the ages of zero to four, it really is extremely impactful. Not only does it literally change the neural pathways of your brain, but it messes up the reasoning part of your brain. And it also can cause issues with the development of the brain. It could cause your brain to be small, the physical um, parts of your brain, it could cause it to be a different shape. And so it, it trauma in the early years can even cause your body not to grow. So like really small people, you know, how they say yeah, little trauma, little person syndrome, how they, they sometimes little people, little, not little people like, um, not like the disease or like dwarfism, but people who are smaller you're, in stature. You're trying, to, you're trying to tumble through that. Yeah. It's like, let out. me not offend nobody. <laughs> But you know how they say, like, oh, little people always uh, have anger issues. Yeah. So maybe, look, that might be trauma. They didn't grow right. No, I'm just kidding. Um, So I wanted to say that there's this this author, he said that the first, okay, actually, I'm going to ask you a question and you tell me what you think. Okay. So do you think it is more traumatic or do you think you have a better outcome in life if you have, let's say your first year of life is pretty traumatic, zero to one, right? And then you have 11 great years. Or do you think it's more traumatic to have the first year of your life be great and then 11 horrible years? Mm, definitely not the 11 horrible years. So it's more traumatic to have 11 horrible years or it's yeah. less traumatic? It's more traumatic to have the 11 horrible years. Actually, it's the opposite. So the age of zero to one is so important because your brain is developing at a rapid fire pace and you need the you need those pathways to develop and you need to be loved and have affection as equivalent as you need food. That's how that's how important it is. Mm-hmm. If you mess up that age zero to one, the effects are so detrimental that eleven good years sometimes cannot combat that one negative year. However, kids who had one that first year was good. Let's say you had good parents and your parents both ended up, you know, passing away or whatever, and then you end up in foster homes for the next 11 years, those kids have a better prognosis than the kid who started off with that first horrible year. Hmm. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, because see, that's what I was thinking, like, I was actually just thinking, oh, from one from zero to one, your brain is mashed potatoes. Like, you don't know what's <laughs> going on. But from one to 11, I'm like, bro, those are like your formative years. Like, 
those are the years where you're supposed to be comforted and taught and given love. And if those are just horrible, then I feel like the next 11 years after that, you're going to have a horrible outlook. Yeah. So So the issue, the issue is, is that since your brain is developing so much in that first year, it essentially rewires your brain and it influences your emotional regulation. It influences your stress responses. It influences the shape of your brain. It influences you forming healthy relationships and, you know, regulating, um, emotions, regulating your thoughts, regulating your reasoning. It influences so many different things that, that it's really, really just negative you know it's negative overall and so did you know a fun fact did you know that you can pass trauma down genetically from one generation to the next how so basically since it rewires your brain Mm -hmm. your brain is rewired it's called it's called epigenetic impact so what that means is that it changes your genes essentially so when you go through traumatic things your dna actually changes so this is how to explain it to make it make more sense is that let's say you have a your book right your book is all your genes and all those things so what trauma does like let's say your book is already written what trauma does is it adds sticky notes on specific pages of the book and so it affects how the instructions are read so let's say you go to page two and there's a sticky note that says skip page two through eight so you go through page nine essentially Mm -hmm. so basically when you have children some of those sticky notes get passed on essentially Hmm. and so they get passed on and it affects us how their bodies read the instructions and it leaves marks basically on their book or leaves marks on their genes and so it can get passed down dna and rna essentially yeah Mm. it just gets passed down and so essentially you could pass down you know anxious responses to things and so this is why like the systemic oppression and racism and things that happened to black people in slavery this is why we have certain reactions as black people or you know certain other uh Mm. certain other races that were demonized or ostracized this is why they have certain reactions and certain things about them and so it's kind of an interesting thing you know yeah and so there wow, is that that is very interesting even just even thinking about the climate of what's going on in the world today like even with the israeli and palestinian thing like that that has been a conflict that has literally been going on for hundreds of years yeah and you know all that trauma all that anger all that angst is just being passed down from generation to generation to, to generation to here we are today is still being carried out that's crazy yeah And so neglect can basically I want you guys to take from this that neglect can have a lasting impact on brain development and lead to difficulties forming healthy relationships. And those first ages are so very important, like to protect your children, to love your children, to to hug them when they need to be hugged, to hold them when they need to be held, to rub their back to you know just a lot of the physical touch and things like that and so in the book the boy who was raised by a dog he had he did have 11 good months with his mom and his grandma they both passed away and he was raised by um the mom's boyfriend and he the boyfriend tried to take the kid to cps and say you know like (laughs) the parents are dead like you know you should probably take him to foster care and then 
the so the social services system said, "Oh, you look like a good parent. You could have him temporarily while we find a house." So of course they never got around to finding a house, and so the guy basically uh never had raised kids before and never knew anything about having kids apparently and but he was a dog breeder he was also mildly intellectually disabled so you know he wasn't working with uh everything he should have been working with and mm-hmm. he had the kid in a he basically raised the kid in a cage and things like that oh, okay. and so the kid's brain didn't develop properly his he was barking and throwing feces and all types of stuff however because he had that good first 11 months they were really able to work with him and transform him within about six months and so i just thought that was kind of interesting however they had another story where a kid was about 17 or 14 and he was like, he showed symptoms of a lot of different disabilities. He didn't end up really having a disability, but they had diagnosed him as ADHD. They diagnosed him as uh, schizophrenic. They diagnosed him as autism. So he had all these multiple diagnoses. And so what happened to him was that the mom went back to work at five weeks. She found a, a babysitter for him and the babysitter was a family f- or a family member, a cousin and the cousin ended up finding another job but she wanted to keep both the money and so she would come and change the baby's diaper on her brakes and then leave him in the crib at all night all day because she felt like oh he's a baby he don't need nothing but a clean diaper you know yeah and so she left him but that kid took a lot a lot a lot of work to you know undo the negativity and even though that's, that's just crazy in itself just that story yeah and of course when the mom found out she quit her job. So this was from zero to 18 months he went through that. Mm-hmm. The mom quit her job. She did, you know, and loved on him and did everything she could. But by 14, he the just... The damage was done. Yeah, the damage was done. But they did end up being able to work through it. So now we're going to talk about how you can work through these things. Because, you know, you might think, oh my God, my child is already traumatized. Or they've already faced a traumatic event. There's nothing we can do. There's always some type of hope. So, you know, don't worry about that. And so there's a thing called neuroplasticity. Do you know what neuroplasticity is, babe? It's the thing I've heard about this before. It's pretty much just like how your brain can stretch pretty much. No, is that, is that what it is? Neuroplasticity is your brain's ability to adapt and okay. change over time. Yeah, that's, that's really what I meant that. So, you know how I said that <laughs> pain, that trauma and neglect can basically damage your neural pathways. Mm-hmm. So your pathways in your brain, it's like bridges in your brain. So neuroplasticity can form new pathways in your brain and reorganize your existing pathways. Mm -hmm. And so to make this, you know, plain for the people and keep it in our roots roots and bloom theme, basically your brain is like a garden and neuroplasticity is your garden's ability to adapt and change. And so like plants grow and they shrink based on sunlight and water. Your brain can reorganize itself based on experiences. And so when you learn something new or have a new experience, your brain is planting seeds or you're planting seeds in your brain's garden. And the plasticity allows your seeds to grow and create new 
flowers, new trails, new bushes, new things in your garden. And so that's how your brain adapts and adjusts and learns and it changes basically. So the brain is not something that just stays the same. Mm -hmm. It's something that can change. And so that is the good, good news. Yes. And so how you combat the trauma that your child may have faced is you want to have emotional connectedness. So you really want a village of people. You want the grandparents. You want the aunties. You want the uncles. And if you don't have that, you need to literally work on creating a village for your for your kids. It's so important for your kids to have friends and loved ones and people who could pour into them and notice their strengths and all those good kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And so... Not only do you want um, that, but you want to try the different strategies. You want to try early intervention. You want to have early support. You want to um, basically target what your child is showing, what is missing, what you think they need. You want to seek counseling. You want to seek all those things. But most importantly, more so than any of that, it's truly emotional connectedness. It's love. It's the physical touch of your children. It's so important to hug and love on your children. Hugs and physical touch. If if you don't have hugs and physical touch, then that also damages your brain in a way. And so it's really important to have those things. And so... You know, anything you want to ask or you want me to cover or what? Well, I mean, I guess the bottom line of it, I mean, you kind of already answered the question I was going to ask before you, you know, gave the ending of this. Because I was just going to say, like, so is there hope? Is there hope for change? Is there hope for evolution, Um, you know, at the end of it? Like a, a child that is damaged or that gets damaged. Is there hope for them to, like, live a normal life? you know, after the trauma has already set in. Yeah, there's definitely hope. It just takes a pattern of therapeutic and safe environment. Like you have to, it has to be a pattern though. It has to be calm and safe and over and over and over again. You need the nurturing. You need all of those things. And so another thing that I also wanted to mention that I forgot to mention is that certain genes in your brain Like, you know how I said trauma can be passed down? Mm -hmm. You know, I said that. And so certain genes are inactive. And so a gene might be passed down. Like, let's say you have a gene for, like, anxiety or anger or something like that. And so, you know, it's passed down on you. And it's a sticky note. But it can remain silent or inactive. And based on your surroundings and your environment determines whether that gene will activate or not. Mm. And so in a nurturing, calm, loving environment with um, a good village and things, then the gene will remain inactive. However, you know, in a tumultuous, frustrating, lots of yelling, scary environment, then that gene can activate, you know. And so... At the end of the day, we just really need to build those emotional connections. We need to have the safe environment. We need to have a pattern of safe environment. We need to have a nurturing environment and all of those things. We need to love our kids. We need to physically hug our kids. We need to make sure that we teach them. And so there's a lot of things that we can do to impact our children in a positive way. And you know, but it also reminds us that we have to really be intentional about how we raise our kids. Yeah. 
It's good stuff. That's our resident psychologist there. That was deep, so, right? Yeah. I mean, it's good to have conversations like that, though, because a lot of people don't. Like, I've said this before on the podcast, like, even with even with people being married, like, there's just so many spouses out there that just honestly don't talk to each other. Like, they don't ask each other, like, do you have any trauma? What's some of, What's your childhood trauma? You know what I mean? Like, they know your story, or they might have known your upbringing, but... You know, people just don't really talk about stuff like that. And I think um, it makes for a healthier society. It makes for a healthier family, a healthier, a healthier nucleus. If you do get into talks like this, because, you know, just like those neural pathways being, you know, um, you know, rebridged in different places, like you're, you're working your brain out to even just think through these things, you know, just in case situations arise or you're able to help somebody out else out that might be going through, you know, what we're talking about. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to our last section, our last segment rather. <laughs> um, and this is, this is my segment. Um, it's the lifestyle segment. Um, this is where I talk about pretty much anything where there's music, which I love film or TV shows, which I love, or just, you know, pop entertainment, you know, things going on in the world. And today, um, I want to talk about something I actually mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, but I think I want to have a different spin and a different way I go about talking about this situation, which everybody has been talking about for the beginning of this 2024, and this is this Cat Williams interview. (laughs) And um, why I really want to talk about it, like I said, I don't want to really get into like just the whole everything that he did for those that don't know i'll just give you a brief summary um so pretty much cat williams had an interview with shannon sharp who's you know shout out to him because he's been building this platform for is he years an nba player no shannon sharp is, a, is an ex-football not even just an ex-football player he's a hall of fame football player he used to play for the broncos back in the day he won back-to-back championships with the broncos shannon sharp is arguably the top i would say top three greatest uh tight ends um, in football history. Um, so he's up there, you know, but anywho, so that, that's where Shannon Shopper comes from. It comes okay. from the sports world. Interesting. And so anyway, you know, he had kept, uh, Cat Williams on his show, um, interviewing him and, you know, while we thought, well, anything with Cat Williams isn't really mild to be quite honest, but I don't think anybody expected what he, the tangent rant that he went on just disparaging other comedians or, um, you know, bringing to light certain things and certain facts that a lot of us didn't know about certain comedians and just plain old just clowning comedians. Um, It was interesting. You know, these are a lot of comedians, which would be his peers. You know, he's had problems with um, in the past, and he was just laying out a bunch of stuff. Um, But really... What I want to talk about, like I said, because most everybody's already kind of talked about it and had their own episodes about it and, you know, laughed and they're making memes of all of this stuff. <laughs> but really, now that I got you here with the psych, with your psychologist mind, my main question about this interview, um, which I want to which I want to preface and say that. Is Cat mentally ill? Absolutely. Well, no, no. <laughs> Not that. I want to preface and say, like, I too did. Like, I watched the interview. I ended up finishing the interview. And, you know, I, I was laughing. Like, it was an entertaining interview because Cat Williams is just, he's, like, sometimes unhinged. He makes sense. But at the end of the day, at his core, he is a comedian and he is an entertainer. 
So he makes this interview entertaining with the jokes that he was getting off. But really, my number one question is, why do we as a society love drama? Like, why do we love drama? And I and and I really pose that question, and it's it's because of this. This interview that Cal Williams done with Shannon Sharp is now his highest interview. It's only this interview has only been out for five days. It's already at thirty six million views. Yeah. Before that, Shannon Sharp's highest viewed interview um, was around nine ten million. You know, that was in a span of like six months. Okay. Oh, what not? And what's an interesting contrast is that this was pretty much the kickoff for the new year for you know his first interview, and one of the last interviews he had was pretty much like the polar opposite. One of the last interviews he had for twenty twenty three was Kurt, was a Kirk Franklin interview, and you know Kirk Franklin that was more so him diving into like you know finding his father and you know just his upbringing you know music side God spirituality and you know it just had a heart of just forgiveness and reconciliation you know through the whole interview okay so we get that you know and you know not a lot of people pay attention to that they never they don't really tune into that they don't really tune into like oh this is what you <laughs> this is what you can do to you know reconcile things in your heart that's boring you know what i mean but when the drama pops off Come bro, on, somebody. like i said we have 36 million in five days we love to see it and you know really i, I pose the question of why do we like drama but it's really it goes into especially like our generation like why are we so consumed with like celebrity mess that has nothing to do with us you know what i mean like i said there's certain things that cal Liam said in his interview that was actual fact you know like he brought up like other comedians bigger comedians actually stealing his material or comedians stealing material from other people and you know comedians just plain old lying you know mm-hmm. what i mean so he had some factual stuff that he was saying but then he mixed it with just weird, crazy stuff that, I'm going to be honest, I don't believe. Like, one of his crazy stats was that he read 3,000 books every year, nonfiction books. As he made sure to clarify himself, he read 3,000 nonfiction books for a year, every year, from the age of 8 to 14. I did the math on that. He ain't doing that. That's that's like going, ten books a day. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We I did the math on that. He ain't did that. Yeah, you know what I mean. So he's mixing facts with crazy stats, stuff like that, and then he just has just unnecessary stuff. Like for one example, which you probably you gonna be like, I don't know who this is, but like his Ricky Smiley take or whatnot. And it seems that uh, it seems that Cal Williams is just mad that Ricky Smiley gave. Pretty much his perspective of something that happened a while ago. Ricky Smiley is a, is a comedian as well, and he was on a Shannon Sharp show um, maybe like eight months ago. And Ricky Smiley was an actor in Friday After Next, which is Cat Williams' first movie when okay. he played when he played Money Mike. Ricky Smiley played the Santa Claus in that movie. But in Ricky Smiley's interview, Ricky Smiley just essentially said that you know when we first shot that movie, um, I, you know I was actually supposed to do the Money Mike role first, you know before Cat Williams gave it to Cat Williams. And that's a seemingly essentially what he said. Like, oh, I auditioned for that role first. That was supposed to be me. But, you know, the producers and our Ice Cube, who was, you know, the main producer of the movie, who wrote the movie, they just felt that, you know, Cat Williams was a better Money Mike. And, you know, they pushed to put him into that role. 
But, you know, you had Cat Williams on this interview just going in on Ricky Smiley to the point of just saying, like, oh, he was a liar. This role was never for you. It was, you know, it was always, you know, this was always going to be my role. He even went to saying that Ricky Smiley, you know, he's just best. He's only good when he's playing a woman in a movie. You know, and, and then made another remark saying, I have it. Calvin said, I have in my contract that anytime that I'm going to be on a movie with Ricky Smiley, it's in my contract that Ricky Smiley has to be in a dress and he has to play a woman's role or whatnot. Just crazy stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. But again, I want to circle back to the main question, the main overarching question. Why do you think that people are just so consumed with drama and just you know mess and being so engulfed in like celebrity culture what do you what do you think that well i'm not engulfed in celebrity culture oh yeah we know you're not yeah (laughs) but i just think that people like to see some mess that's not theirs Mm, (laughs) honestly i think people are interested in seeing you know and they and they hold uh celebrities on a pedestal and then like at highly regard and to see like, Oh, they're human too. Or they have this drama and they have this pettiness. I think that it excites people like, Oh, they're just human too, you know, in a way I think that it makes celebrities more relatable. I also think that people like to not focus on themselves and see like, Oh, Hmm. you know, they just like to say, you know, like, Oh, they're so bad. They're so terrible. Look at him dressing like a woman. Woman. at least i don't dress like no woman you know men that's, might that's think that point. and so i think people are just interested in that capacity they like to make themselves feel good number one they like to see that these people are human number two and number three you know it brings a little spice to life it's like some it's like why women like to watch um murder mysteries there's actual study that it gives us (laughs) it gives us a thrill without us being in danger and so i think it gives people a thrill to see drama it's the same thing as when you hear somebody arguing outside you bet you at that window looking absolutely Mm. if you hear your neighbors arguing or you if somebody says oh let me tell you about the neighbor across the street most people are going to be looking but i mean biblically what don't gossip does it say don't listen to gossip though or does it say don't gossip i don't know (laughs) we gotta I think we it says her. both. The but and both. I don't know the exact scripture, but I know they're both in Proverbs. But there's a proverb about not entertaining gossip and not spreading gossip. Oh, so I wonder if celebrity talk is gossip. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Listen, that's between people and they and the Lord. Okay, so listen, yeah. we're not here to judge nobody. So you got to get that between you and God yourself. But yeah, I just think people are interested in the mess overall. Like mm-hmm. me, I, I mean, I like to hear about it a little bit. Like mostly I like to hear when women are, are dogging men to be the, for the most part. <laughs> oh, that's, that's what you like to hear. Yeah. I like for women to get their retribution. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I kind of don't really get the hype behind it. But, you know, it gets views and you was one of the views, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, at the end of the day, like, like I said, I did watch it. I was laughing, like, at some of the jokes that he was saying, like, because, like I said, he's just a, he's a funny person. But really, when I get down to it and, like, after you in, after you take in that interview and just listen to the stuff he says, like, like I said, it's just, I felt that, like, a bunch of the stuff was kind of unnecessary. You know what I mean? And, like. It's just, it's really, to me, even in that comedian world, just in the world of people in, in general, like, I, I felt it kind of like, it's kind of like ugly. And it's kind of like, for lack of a better word, like low-key ghetto. 
And I find that really this drama and this like this just entertainment and like being focused in on drama, it, it happens so much more like in the black community, you know, especially with, you know, comedians like this, because um, whether it's comedy, whether it's sports, whether it's music. I feel like our community, like, we just have to just battle and debate each other. And I don't know, that might be passed down trauma, like you said, like from slavery days where we had to, like, fight and they had the buck fights of who was going to be the, you know, the biggest, baddest one that's about to be getting bought. And I don't know if it stems from that, but I just look at other cultures, like, Jim Carrey has never come out in an interview and, like, talked bad or talked down on Will Ferrell or Drew Carey or Adam Sandler or something like that. You know what I mean? It kind of happens in our community a lot, and like we really egg it on. You know, we we put the we put the flame to the lighter fluid and just make it bigger than it needs to be. But I feel like roasting and talking about people is a part of our culture. You know what I mean? Like I feel well, like he, well, uh, some 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 of the stuff he was doing a little bit more than just roasting. You know? But I feel like I don't know. I feel like it's truly a part of our culture. Even like family members will talk about you. You know mm. what I mean? And you're <laughs> in the black family. Your family's often your first bullies. It helps you to be strong. Mm you know but, but that also that helps us not to be like you know so wimbly about a lot of things like i don't know yeah but not so much just roasting like roasting is one thing but i'm just talking about like that's why i said like whether it's com- whether it's the comedy world or the sports world or even like the music world it's like this just com- like nobody it's like can- a competition yeah, it's like but it's like a competition but it's like it gets like low-key like dirty and like just and Emba- like downright ghetto and embarrassing like we don't all have to whoa, just whoa whoa be careful with that g word what ghetto <laughs> but you're like like we don't all have to just be at each other's neck like we can all just there's enough space out here for all of us we can all just live in harmony like so that's why i gave the example like you've never you've never and we probably will never ever see like a jim carrey do an interview where he just dogging will ferrell you know or will ferrell dogging drew carrey and adam sandler just out of nowhere, because that's what this interview kind of seemed like. But anyway, it's probably my, one out there. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's not. And like I said, and, and in every capacity, like for example, like rapper, like you, like you know, rappers beef. You'll hear a rapper beef every other day. How many country singers have beef with each other? How many country singers <laughs> does anybody does anybody in our community know? We don't know what's going on in the other communities. I well, I well, I do as when it comes to music because I've listened to. But it, I, I listen ha, to like okay, but you're not really interested into their beef and seeing like who doesn't like who. I guarantee you, that's just a natural human response, honestly. Because you could even think about if if that were true in that aspect, and which I'm not sure whether it's true or not, but I doubt that it is. But you just think about the work environment and work environments with people of different variety of races, and they be beefing with each other. They be talking about each other. They be messy. And so, you know, it's just, I think it's just a part of human culture at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we have a highlight on the black culture part of it because we are black, you know? Mm -hmm. However, I guarantee you in other cultures, it's there as well. And even... On TikTok, I saw this whole thing about, uh, like, Asians and how their intricacies work and the meanness in their community and stuff. And I, it was just something that a lot of people had no idea of. And so I just feel like it's in every culture, every race, but we might not have the mirror or the, or the front row seat to all the other 
races. And so it might be like a whole celebrity culture thing. And then, yes, we're seeing the black environment celebrity culture, but I guarantee you it's in other environments too. We just haven't looked necessarily, and that's not necessarily where we're spending our time looking. Mm-hmm. All right, so then one of my last questions to you, taking picking your psychologist brain um, in the same kind of vein, because another thing that Cat Williams did with his interview, like I said, on the side of some of the facts and evidence that he gave for some of the things, like the joke stealing and things of that nature, like I said, he also gave just random facts or what, what we deem as facts about himself and about like other things where I've seen people are just taking like... We have a we live in a, a society where somebody will see something posted on the internet and they will just they don't do no research they don't even do the math they just say oh this person said it so it has to be true mm-hmm. like I said for going back to what Cat Williams saying he read he reads a thousand three thousand books in a year there's another section where he was talking about he has this such a high IQ and he gets tested every six months for this IQ. There was even a section in this interview where this man said he runs a 4-2. Now, you ran track in high school. Oh, and, <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know a person, just a random person out of nowhere to my son, yeah, I run a 4-2. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, like what? Yeah, he's obviously crazy. He has <laughs> grandiose thinking. He's probably, let me think of what disorder that is. I mean, that could be a lot. He has very grandiose thinking and grandiose stories. But yeah, so what was the question? So yeah, my question is like, why do you think our society, why why do you think our society, our people are so moved by just like believing anything anything that somebody says, especially not just anything that somebody says, we do that often, but especially if it comes from a celebrity. I just think that people are don't care to do research themselves. And I think that also goes into the fact, like, an expert says, when people say the expert, like, who, nobody ever questions, who's the expert? Where did that come from? Or, like, you know, the commercials that'll say, this is recommended by 12 dentists. What 12 dentists <laughs> it recommended could be 12, it? It could be 12 dentists down on Crenshaw. <laughs> or it could be anybody, you know what I mean? But, or, you know, the same reason why in the history books we believe the pilgrims was eaten with the Indians, oh like, gosh. you know? Yeah. And so, it's just crazy, you know? I just think as people, we just are called to, we're just, we're just asked to just follow and just not question and it's kind of ingrained in us from school they want you to obey blindly they want you to when this bell rings you do this when I say sit down you do this and so it causes people to be sheep for Mm. lack of a better word and so you know we just aren't questioning anything we're just we're just trained to don't question just do what you're supposed to do but the people who question and the people who don't just go along to get along, the people who do that are typically your people who are your 1%. Your 1% of people who have these are multimillionaires, billionaires who come up with these businesses, who comes up with these ideas and things. But the majority of people are just going to go along to get along. Mm, okay. That's good. Um, Man, well, and in this segment, man, I just want to say, I mean, I don't know if Cat Williams is listening. Maybe he is listening to the Crafted Podcast. But I just he feel needs like... to get on some medicine. <laughs> well, that too. But also, anybody that's just really... That saw that interview or like felt what he... Because a lot of people saying like, I felt what he was doing. Or they make memes like, if I send you this picture, just know I'm about to be petty or I'm about to get petty. <laughs> 
You know what I mean? Like, at the end of the day, even if there's something going on or you think that people are talking about you or disparaging you behind your back, like, you don't, you shouldn't have to just exercise your license to be like, okay, here, I'm going to just be petty. You know what I mean? If you're successful and you're already doing what you're doing, I mean, at the end of the day, like, Cal Williams is going to do what he wants to do. You know what I mean? I'm not saying whether he did was right or wrong. I'm just giving my, my take on it and my viewpoint. But I'm just feeling like, you know, if somebody was to do me wrong or say something wrong about me, but I'm already being successful and doing what I'm doing. Like, there was a lot of stories that came out about, like, oh, you know, early on in my career, and I was a young comedian, you know, and I performed at a comedy club, and I wasn't getting paid that much. Cat Williams, you know, he he just came from the back after my show and gave me $2,000. He's just such a generous person and blah, blah, blah. And those are great stories, you know what I mean? And that, and that might be true of what Cat Williams did, but, like, I don't think that that should stop you know, that shouldn't stop you naturally doing that just because other comedians are doing what they're doing, whether they're stealing your jokes or whether they're saying you're not funny or you're crazy or mentally ill. Like, just continue to just do you. If you're already doing something and being who you are, just continue to be you. You don't have to fall back and be petty and stoop to low devices and just, you know, disparage people and just cause disharmony. Or when they go low, you could take it to the flow. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway so yeah i just wanted to give my my unorthodox take on that interview because of course everybody is within the drama and they're just loving it and just kind of hyping it up so but that has been the crafted podcast um as always we just thank you guys for tuning in with us and um just sharing this time with us um we also want to remind you please check us out in the description section, um, leave us a comment. Leave us a rating. Hopefully, this was a five-star interview for you. Um, also, interview. That, I mean, podcast. a five-star podcast, five-star, <laughs> five-star episode. I was thinking about the Cat Williams interview. Um, but also, in that description section, also, I encourage you, man, check out um, our links. We have a link to our children's book that you can purchase on Amazon. Leave us a review um, on the children's book, please. Yeah, yeah. Leave us a review on that children's book. If, you, if you're if you listening to this podcast and you purchased a children's book and you have a children's book in your possession, please go to Amazon and leave us a review, an honest review about what you think about the book. Um, we'd appreciate that. Um, but also, like I said, also check out our description, leave us comments. Maybe there's a, a, a topic that you want us to hear us talk about or, or discuss. Leave it in the comment and I might become an episode one day. Um, so, yeah, man. Um, as always, we, I can't wait to talk to you guys next week. Um, and as always, God bless.